First You Think is a not-for-profit ministry of the First Unitarian Church of Des Moines. Support us at ucdsm.org today. As a facilitator for a church's coming-of-age program, I bear witness to how weird, awkward, and quirky it is to be a teenager. Coming-of-age is to Unitarian Universalism what confirmation is to Catholicism, bar and bat mitzvah to Judaism, or even the sweet 16 to the American dream, a rite of passage for young people that recognizes their transition from childhood into adulthood and the responsibilities that go with it. As a facilitator of coming of age, I find myself working with people not yet children and not yet adults, but youth. To me, being an adolescent is experiencing the uneasiness of leaving behind childhood familiarity and facing the wide possibilities of adulthood. Whether you want to grow up or not, adolescence can be a funny thing. <laughs> I remember at a fall retreat a while back, the COA team worked with the camp to organize a high ropes course for the youth. They were belayed to a tall, scary 20-foot pole and climbed up to a zip line at the top. Some youth eagerly jumped up to the front of the line to take on the thrill of the climb. Others were reluctant, but wanted to try and followed through. One or two opted out of the activity altogether. It just wasn't for them, and that's okay. No matter how they felt or handled the situation, each person did really well with the challenge. Afterward, the facilitators told the youth that trying hard things is a part of growing up and that we were very proud of them. For a moment there, I noticed a slight but noticeable change in each person, that in this moment, they all seemed a little bigger, a little more experienced, a little more grown. Next, we had a bit of free time, so I decided to corral the kids and walk to the lodge to hang out. But perched at the top of the hill, we came by this large, tempting, empty playground. One of the more assertive youth asked the facilitators if they could go play. I dismissed them quickly and authoritatively, no, we're heading straight to the lodge. But of course, that wasn't persuasive. So as we continued to march by the irresistible playground, the group quickly frayed. <laughs> One jumped onto the swings and called his friends to join him, and another wandered over to the monkey bars. Two took on the seesaw. The group picked off one by one from the path we were going to the playground. Despite my insistence, at this point, no one was listening to me pleading to them to head back to the lodge. But um, despite everything, despite them being adventurous youth, trying new things, they still gravitated toward the familiar, the fun, and took no interest in what the adult wanted. They're still just like children. I thought I smiled at my fellow facilitators, gave in, and watched them laugh and scream and play. Working with young people reminds me that we are always becoming. We are always one thing becoming another. In some moments, it can feel like we're a caterpillar, right? Immature, unfinished, full of potential. Then in other times, we feel like we're in a chrysalis, broken down, wrapped up and constrained, fixed, still, hidden. And then there are times when we feel like a butterfly, fully formed, beautiful, liberated, and mature. But life isn't linear. 
like the life cycle of a butterfly. Even when things seem to go back and forth, one one step forward, two steps back, even when we are sitting still and just being, time and entropy keeps everything temporary. Life doesn't really like to be fixed at the same place at the same time. Human life is full of transitions, both joyful and remarkable, gradual and subtle, chaotic and disruptive. Times when you share bittersweet tears or awkward hugs, perhaps with your family when you're dropped off at college, you submit yet another job application, probably the hundredth this week. You pack boxes in one place and open them in another. You meet your beloved at the aisle on your wedding day. You welcome your child home for the first time. You watch the sunrise from the window of a 6 a.m. flight. You check your phone in the elevator. You wait in line. You're stuck at a red light. You walk up the stairs, walk through the door. You go inside. You go outside. Moment to moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year. We come to learn that change is the truth of life. Many of us know that change isn't always positive when it comes. Change can take away what we have, what we know, what we expect to happen next that we thought was for sure. I remember talking to my sister on the phone in March 2020, remember that month? With shock, the world was grimly facing the uncertainties and threats of economic catastrophe, mass death, and grief, systemic collapse, and extreme isolation. We were in lockdown, unsure whether or not the pandemic will end in weeks, months, or God forbid, years, and what the world was going to look like when it was all over. She called this moment a crappy in-between time. When I heard this, I was like, yeah, this for sure is a crappy in-between time. I had hoped that things would last shortly, but I had no certainty of when things would return back to normal. All I could remember is that I had to keep on living, making the best choices I could to get through it. I moved with the rest of the world into a riff in reality in which surreal, unfamiliar terms and counterintuitive ways of being were introduced, debated, denied, and normalized face masks, flattening the curve, social distancing, super spreader, asymptomatic, shelter in place, self-isolation, quarantine, PPE, N95, shortness of breath, ventilator, the new normal, and so on and so on. Months later, still stuck in the pandemic, I remember that conversation with my sister, you know, about the crappy in between time, and started to wonder if this is becoming more of a crappy forever time. That the pandemic wasn't going to be over, that what was normal wasn't going to be something we were returning to. Two years later today, we're still adapting to this new normal without yet overcoming the new challenges of the pandemic and the long-term factors that contributed to its deadly intensity. Healthcare today is prohibitively expensive to many, Resources for education continue to be inequitable and sometimes scarce. Working people, especially our essential workers, are struggling to make ends meet with dignity. Still today, 
someone is fighting to keep a human alive, still today, someone is struggling to breathe. Even if we never had the pandemic, we are facing a shared set of global challenges that are persistently at our doorstep or are making headlines in today's news. Often, it seems as though we transition from one dire news headline into another. Things don't always seem to get better. Does it seem like that? What struggle for the world do you carry? Climate change, reproductive justice, LGBTQ liberation, extremism, terror, authoritarianism, poverty, violence, illness. Learning about an injustice, danger, or evil that is happening in the world makes us aware of the people it affects, the misery it inflicts, and the systems or people who cause the problem or prevent it from being solved. Yesterday we hear about this, today we read about that, tomorrow something worse will darken the news again. It's a lot to hold, a lot to carry, the ongoing list of problems we urgently need to solve. When I read the news about something terrible that has happened, that has happened, I often experience a wash of outrage and helplessness that I'm too small to make a difference and to change things. YouTubers, John and Hank Green, in their channel called Vlog Brothers, calls this feeling the sad gap, a liminal space in which we feel despair and anxiety when the facts of a problem arise into our hearts. In the sad gap, we can learn more nuanced information, discuss the topic with others, engage with it more deeply, even as we're still feeling anguish. In the sad gap, we, we become more aware of why this issue matters to us and to the world. As we go deeper, the sad gap has the potential to become a space where we can learn about who is trying to solve the problem and what systems of change are available to use. When we make the sustained choice to take action and get involved, we can exit the sad gap. John Green, in his thinking about the sad gap, reminds us that we are made aware about sad things all the time and that it seems like none of it is getting solved because we are responding to today's sad thing and yesterday's sad thing and leaving sometimes yesterday's sad thing behind, it seems. It's good to remember as you make one problem your priority and grow your skill set and knowledge, someone else is making another issue their priority, their skill set, and their knowledge. We have a tremendous capacity to solve these problems and benefit from our individual specialization in what we care about. And this gives me hope not only for the world, but for life itself. At home, I keep a fortune cookie slip that came to me before my life turned upside down a few years ago. It says, before the beginning of great brilliance, there must be chaos. At the time of my unrest, the words angered and frustrated me. I didn't want chaos. I didn't want whatever vague great brilliance was coming either. What I wanted most was for things to be exactly as they were yesterday, under my control. At the least, I was hoping for maybe this great brilliance was a return to normal, a new and improved normal, maybe a make normal great again kind of moment. Sorry. <laughs> But you feel that, right? Not something else entirely off the trajectory from where I thought I was heading. 
For better or worse, whether the choice is ours or not, when we aren't sure what will happen next to us, we lose the imagined self we were looking forward to being. It's important to remember that this imagined self never existed in the first place. It is only our expectations. It can be scary and saddening when our comfortable sameness can't be relied on anymore because something has changed. It no longer exists. In death and diagnosis, grief is love with nowhere to go. Through a job loss and financial strain, we face uncertainty. In loneliness and estrangement, there is wandering. Amidst social unrest and injustice, there is an urgent need for revolution. In the loss of faith comes new understanding. On the other side of chaos, brilliance awaits us. It is frightening to face emptiness, especially one that used to contain our conception of the future. The void is irrational, chaotic, mysterious, and frightful. Ultimately, what was can no longer be restored, and we must make way for a new beginning. This can be liberating, upsetting, or sometimes both. Miraculously, somehow we learn how to move beyond the initial disruption. Day by day, moment by moment, we make choices that lead us to a new normal, even as we continue to grieve. This may mean leaning into what is good for us in the moment, a call with a friend, a walk in the woods, getting up to make a meal, trying something new. And then at some point, we don't really notice it, do we? We've accepted, adapted, or moved on from what was. As the next tumble of life is creeping behind us, we mumble fragile new stories constructed from the stuff that has emerged. The new normal points us to yet another future we will count on. When the new change comes in, when a problem is brought to us, we will make it up as we go along like we have before. Whatever resolution seems to materialize, often it is temporary. After all, the moon is only full three days each month. It is a cycle. We witness each phase over and over again. Our conception of the future can erode away from our sight over time, or it can shatter in a single sentence. Again and again and again. Not always for the worst, not always for the better, but always different than what we were used to. It's funny to me that people don't like change, but have the tremendous capacity for resilience. Adaptation is the change we make within ourselves to be in better balance with the world's unending chaos. I think being able to change is the core of what it means to be human, to be alive, what makes life so miraculous. And after will always come. I would encourage us to embrace the gifts that the present brings us, whether we are in a state of comfort or chaos, resolution or revolution, success or severance. The moment as we know it will eventually fleet from one thing to the next as life naturally ebbs and flows. Even though we will never know for sure where we are going, we are always becoming. Take care to note the in-betweens that are part of your wild, vulnerable, and fickle story. How are you spending your time while waiting? What are your choices when facing uncertainty? What do you turn to when you are lost? 
What does the chaos offer you? When the brilliance materializes, what are you grateful for? I'd like to close today's sermon with words from Haruki Murakami. And once the storm is over, you won't remember how you made it through, how you managed to survive. You won't even be sure whether the storm is really over. But one thing is certain, when you come out of the storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what the storm's all about.